1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And I want to ask you if you would just pray with me this morning and ask the Lord just to speak to us this morning. So let's pray together. God, there are so many voices that try to talk to us, try to convince us of things that are not true, things that God would harm us and not bring us life. And Father, this morning we are want to ask you if you would just speak to us from your word. God, reveal to us the truth of your word this morning and help us to believe it. Help us to receive it. Help us, God, to obey it. And God, I pray that what we hear from you today, that we will simply obey and that you will transform our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. How many of you have ever been guilty of using one of the S words? You know, every once in a while I slip up and I use an S word. And it's really bad when I slip up and use an S word in front of my grandchildren. Inevitably, I hear, Papa, you just used an S word. Now, you know what? S words I'm talking about, right? It's words like stupid, shut up. It's, it's those kinds of S words. When I say them, my grandkids, man, say, Papa, you just use an S word. Well, in this passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to talk quite a bit about an S word. And it's not the S words I just mentioned. No, this S word is the word sin. You see, in these verses, it deals with sin and the believer's life. In fact, from 1-7 to 2-2, the word sin is mentioned nine times. And in fact, in these three short verses that we're going to focus in on today, the word sin is mentioned four times. And then you have other words like unrighteousness. You have uh, those kind of words. And this morning, we're going to see from these verses that, number one, sin is real. Number two, we are sinners. But number three, we have good news in that God has given us a, rem a remedy to us sinners. Now, we are living in a world where we are constantly being lied to. And 
All of us fall for lies in our life. Some of us fall for innocent lies, and while other lies are more serious that we fall for. But none are more serious than the lies that strike at the very heart of the gospel. You see, the devil is the father of all lies, and he is constantly lying to us. He's lying to us about the world. He lies to us about our bodies. He lies to us about ourselves, this world, and the word. Wasn't it the serpent who said, has God really said? You can't trust him. And in this passage, John will be dealing with some lies that have crept in to the church. These were lies that were striking at the very heart of the gospel and Christian discipleship. And the truth be known, they are lies that you and I even deal with today in the church and even in our own hearts. And so what were these lies that John had to combat? Well, number one, the first lie we're going to look at is the lie of perfectionism. The lie of perfectionism. Now, what is perfectionism? Well, the lie of perfectionism would say that I am not culpable. I am not culpable. Meaning, I have, not, I have done nothing wrong. I'm not doing anything that makes me liable for judgment. I'm not worthy of God's judgment. Now, I might have a few rough edges around me. I'm not doing everything I really need to be doing right. But basically, basically, I'm getting it all right. I'm not worthy of God's judgment. Now, how in the world did this get into the church in John's day? Well, it really crept in, most likely, from a group, a heretical group called the Gnostics. They were Gnostics uh, in nature. Scholars differ whether these were full-blown Gnostics or whether they just had some Gnostic tendencies. You see, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, and it's the word that means knowledge. This was a pagan philosophy that attached itself to Christianity at times. Gnosticism, among other things, would say uh, the way to be saved, not salvation like we think of, of it, but the way to be saved or the way to have redemption or release was through this gnosis, this special secret knowledge, some kind of ecstatic utterance, some kind of enlightenment or understanding. Some would even say, maybe be saying in John's day, that sin no longer was real because you could remove it through some ritualistic uh, performance that you did. Another way of saying it was that sin was just some bodily category. It wasn't real because what we do in this body, it really doesn't matter because this body is just materialistic stuff. What really matters is the spirit. That's what's important. You see, Gnostics were dualists. And what that means was that they made a very clear distinction between the, the materialistic part of the body 
and the spiritual part of the spirit or the soul. And so Gnostics were basically saying that when you obtain some secret knowledge, then you get this enlightenment. And, or you can go through certain rituals, and then you no longer have to worry about this old moralistic junk that we have to deal with every day. Now, just hearing that ought to clue you in to how detrimental this was to the Christian faith and how important the incarnation of Christ was. But it ought to also reveal to us today that it's very relevant for us today. It's relevant for us because even in our day, we would hear people say stuff like, well, you know, if you just get enough education, or if you just get the right education, then that will solve all the problems that you have. Or if you just, you know, follow the science. How many times have we heard that in the last year and a half? Just follow the science. If you just follow the science, then, man, all that we're dealing with is going to be fixed. Or there's got to be a pill for this. Or there's this new medicine out there that we could take to, to heal me, to take care of the problems that I have physically. Or if you only just get the vaccine. Just get the vaccine and everything, this whole COVID problem will be solved. It even has a spiritual dimension to it. If you'll just do enough spiritual rituals, then you'll be okay. If you just get baptized, then you can wash away the original sin that you had. Or maybe if you just go on a pilgrimage, or if you spin enough prayer wheels, or if you light enough candles, then you will be able to rid the pesky sin problem that you're dealing with. That's what we're talking about. Or maybe even more relevant to us and some of the language that we use, and some, maybe some of you have used this language, well, you know, it's really not me. It's not me. Maybe it's something like, it's not, it wasn't me who did that. Can you hear it? It's almost like you're outside of yourself when you say this. We do something bad and we say, that really wasn't me. It wasn't me who did that. Or maybe it's this. Deep down, I'm really a good person after all. I'm really good. Have you ever heard that, perhaps at a funeral, when they didn't know what to say about the person there? Oh, well, deep down, they were a good person. How far deep? We don't know. We kept on digging. We just couldn't find it. No, you see, perfectionism says that I am not culpable for this stuff that I do. I'm just not culpable. Now, look at 1 John verse 8. 1 John verse 8, 1 verse 8. Look what it says. If we say we have no sin. If we say, John here is using an exclusive we. Meaning, anyone, anywhere, at any time who takes this position. That's who he's talking about. And then he makes the connection between the false uh, teachers of his day and what they were saying. If we say we have no sin... 
We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so what John is really thinking about here, he's thinking about sin not being in us. Not being in my life. Not having a sin nature in me. Sin is not my problem. Sin is someone else's problem. I have no sin principle in me. And John says, if that's what you think, then you deceive yourself. Now, none of us would ever say that right out. We just wouldn't come out and say this. But how often do we say this by saying, by ignoring our sin? Or by diagnosing our sin? Or saying there is some sort of uh, physiological or psychological problem or some social issue has caused this in my life. This is the way I am. Or we put some kind of label on our sin. Or we might even uh, relativize our sins. You know what I'm talking about, right? When I look at the rest of you out there, I'm really not that bad. Yeah, that's what we do. We compare ourselves to other people and we relativize our sins. And John says, if this is what you think, the truth is not in you. And you have deceived yourself to the point where there's no truth in you. No truth. Now, I believe that you've come this morning And you know the truth. You know the truth. You know that you're not okay. And the people that came with you, that you came with, they know that you're not okay. And you know that they know that you know that you're not okay. And you know that I'm not okay either. Listen, there are times in our lives... There are times in our lives where we have those thoughts. We have those those quiet moments in our lives. We have these fleeting thoughts. You know how you have sized people up in your life. You know what kind of fantasies run through your mind. You know that the things that you think about that are not godly. You know what kind of life that you have lived before Christ that doesn't live up to Christ-likeness. You come to church every Sunday, and the life that you are living right now betrays your confession of Christ. And if you were to say, I have no sin, you are deceiving yourself. Listen, it is not real. But listen, the Bible is pointing out to us that sin is real. There is a sin nature, and the reality of it is it's in us. We have a sin nature. But now look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned. Now, verse 8, John is talking about our sin nature. Sin is not my problem. 
It's not my principle. But here in verse 10, it's a little different. If we say we have not sinned, we're moving now from principle to practice. From principle to practice. We are talking about those everyday indwelling sins that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And like the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, those sins that, that, which cling so closely to us. Now let's face it. There is none of us here. There's not a single person here who would say and come out and say, I have no sin or I have not sinned. But how often do we cloak it in language like, oh, I'm not perfect. I never claimed to be perfect. Or we use language like, I just made a mistake. Mistakes were made. Or we generalize our sin. And we say, I have regrets. I have regrets. Or we say, I've all, we've all made mistakes. I'm not the person I would like to be. I do have some growth edges. But listen, that is really not the question we're talking about. No, the question that we are talking about is, have you sinned? Have you sinned? Now, we don't like that term sin. That word sin just kind of rubs us the wrong way. You know, it has contours, it has edges, it has this vertical dimension that really means something. But God calls it sin. Why do we want to always minimize our sin? Why are we always about softening our sin? I know I've sinned. I know I've sinned. I really, but it really doesn't, it's not that bad, is it? It's not hurting anybody, is it? My sin doesn't hurt anybody. When John uses the word sin here in 1 John, what does he mean by sin? Well, if you want a definition for sin, we'll look at that in chapter 3, verse 4, when John defines sin as lawlessness. Lawlessness is a breaking of the law of God, a refusing to hear and obey the word of God. So whenever we think, desire, or act in a way that is contrary to God's word, when God's word tells us to think or act a certain way and desire something a certain way, and we don't, that is sin. I want you to listen to what John Bunyan wrote about sin. Look at it. He says, Sin is a dare of God's justice, the rape of His mercy, the jeer of His patience, the slight of His power, and the contempt of His love. Spurgeon describes sin this way. Sin drives men mad against their reason, against their best interest. They follow after that which they know will destroy them. And then he went on to say, It is not the nature of sin to remain in a fixed state. Like decaying fruit, it grows more and more rotten. The man who is bad today will be worse tomorrow. And then he said, Sin is a thief. It will rob your soul of life. It will rob God 
of His glory. It's not that bad. No, sin is bad. Listen, I don't believe there's anyone here will just stand up and say, I don't have any sin. No, I don't have any sin. But even though we, we won't deny it in our profession, how often times do we deny it in our practice? You see, the Word of God says, look what word, the Word of God says in verse 10. It is so striking. It says in verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, if you think you have not sinned, or you think that sin is in the past and not in the present, or you think uh, that it's not something that you deal with or you have a problem with, not only does the Bible say in verse 6 that you're a liar, the Bible says in verse 8 that you have deceived yourself, but the Bible also says in verse 10 that you have made God a liar. Listen, that is how strong this is. You are saying that God is a liar if you think you don't have a problem with sin. And it goes on and says that his word is not in you. Now, why? Because God says all throughout his word that everyone has a problem with sin. Look at 1 Kings 8.46. If they sin against you, and then he says, parenthetically, for there is no one who does not sin. Look at uh, Psalms 14.3. They have all turned aside together. They have all become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And then finally, if Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. How many? All. We all have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, there is no one in this room who is done with sinning. And the bottom line is that we are all sinners. We're all sinners. Now, I know you've come here today, and you probably come with some problems in your life that you would like me to give some answers to. Or perhaps you've come today and you just wanted to really find out what your problem was. And you say, Pastor Jim, can you give me some answers? Can you say something to me about my problems? Well, I'm going to do my very best to tell you what your problem is. So here it is. Your problem is you. Your problem is you. And my problem is not you, it's me. <laughs> my problem is me. You see, my problem is me, and your problem is 
you. Your problem is you. And in saying that, what I'm saying is that we all have to deal with indwelling sin in our life. This week, I have dealt with indwelling sin in my life. This week, you have dealt with indwelling sin in your life. These past few weeks, Pastor Jay has had us read some prayers of confession. Now, I want to ask you a question. As you were reading through that prayer confession, what were you thinking about? What were you thinking about? What were you saying to yourself? Were you saying to yourself, oh, that's not me. I don't have that problem. I, I don't have, there's nothing I need to confess. Or were you saying to yourself, oh, God, I am such a sinner. God, I have sinned against you. Listen, we all deal with sin. Now, I'm not talking about some religious category that we like to put sin in, some religious box. What I'm talking about is God-offensive, people-harming, self-destructive sin. That's what God's wanting us to get to. Those things that destroy our lives. There is not a single person here that will not deny that you are a sinner. <laughs> Listen, we can't deny it. Your friends know you're a sinner. Your family knows you're a sinner. And God knows you're a sinner. But oftentimes, who's the last one to know that we're a sinner? We are. Amen. We are. Listen, sin is real. We all have a sin nature that we have to deal with inside us. And we can't deny it. We all are sinners. Yes, I deal with indwelling sin every day of my life. And so let's, let's not believe this lie of perfectionism. There's another lie that John deals with and confronts in this passage. And it's not as obvious as the lie of perfectionism. It is the lie of legalism. The lie of legalism. Now, where perfectionism would say, I'm not culpable, the lie of legalism says, I'm not forgivable. I'm not forgivable. You see, the legalist often starts by acknowledging the truth about sin. Oh, yes, God, I am a sinner. He knows that God is holy. He knows that there is a standard that God sets I don't deny that I sin. I see sin all around me. My friends are sinners. Yes, I'm a sinner also. And the legalist, really, he likes to come to church because he likes for the pastor to get a few punches in. He wants to be beat up over his sin. He does. He likes it. Because what he does is he steals himself and he resolves himself to walking out the church and saying to himself, by golly, I'm going to be a better Christian this week. And that will last as long as about 2, 2.30, and then he just slips up. Listen, 
The legalist is not wrong to think that the law must be obeyed. He's not wrong in thinking that where he's wrong is that he's thinking that he can obey it to God's satisfaction. He knows that there's a standard. He doesn't deny sin in himself or anyone else. But the mistake the legalist makes is that somehow he can make up for sin without mercy. You see, it is a foolish dream when you will not, because you will not be good enough, you will not be good enough to be able to do it, to work at it hard enough. It is a failed dream, and some of you, even right now, are feeling the weight. You're feeling of the weight of not being good enough to produce anything for God. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that we have not come to the end of ourselves. We need to come to God, and we need to say to Him, God, I have nothing to offer you except my sin. But no, no, somehow we still want, we still want to hold on to this slim sliver of hope that somehow we can contribute something to our righteousness. And you are crushing yourself by the weight of that because you will never, ever, ever be able to do enough for God. But I want you to know that God has another way. God has another way. Look what verse 9 says. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Once again, we see this word cleanse in this verse. The same word that was up in verse 7. In verse 7, said that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. To verse 9, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Listen, God is all about the business of cleansing us from our sins and our unrighteousness. What cleanses us from sin? What cleanses us from unrighteousness? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it is hard to imagine blood as a cleansing agent. It's just hard to imagine that. How many of you have ever got blood on your clothes? You know, when you get blood on your clothes, it is hard to get that blood out. And especially if you're like me, when you wash your clothes in hot water and then you dry it. Because that sets it right in. And there's no way you can get it out. You need an expert to get that blood out. You need somebody else to help you with that. Listen, sin has stained us. And it doesn't matter how hard you rub, how hard you try, we cannot get the stain of sin out of us. We need someone else to help us. We need someone else's help. John here in verse 9 uses commercial language or transactional language when he says, forgive us our sins or cancel out the debt that we owe you. You see, the legalist will not accept this. 
The legalist won't accept this. He, he won't accept this in theory. He might accept it in theory, and he might sing all the right words and write songs, but in practice, he says, no, I can't do this. No, I'm going to get my act together. This sermon really makes me feel good and motivates me, and I'm going to walk out of here, and I'm going to be a better, better person. I'm going to finally prove myself to God. But you will never be able to do that. You cannot do it. We look at verse 9, and this verse is so familiar to all of us. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, what about this word just? You ever think about that? God is faithful and just? Shouldn't it read, God is faithful to judge us? God is faithful and just to judge us? God is faithful and just to condemn us of our sins? You see, justice is associated with judgment. When the judge is just, he gives you what you deserve. And he punishes you. So why does it say he is faithful and just, therefore, to forgive us and to cleanse us? You see, the legalist is right when he, that the demands of the law must be met. But he is wrong to think that he can meet them. Now, God is true to his promises. God is true to his covenant. God is true to his word and to himself. And so because of the cross of Christ, God can both be judge and the justifier of the ungodly. The question that we often ask ourselves is this. How can God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's what we always want to ask. How can God allow these bad things to happen all to, to all us good people? But that is not the question that permeates the scriptures. Most of the scriptures ask the question, how can a good God allow good things to happen to us bad people? That's the real question. And that's why Romans 3 answers that. Romans 3 is all about answering that. How can God, who is holy, just, true, and never does anything wrong, how can that kind of God, who is just, justify the ungodly? How can that God set aside the wickedness of the ungodly and render them as just and righteous? And the answer is only by an act of justice. An act of justice. You see, so many of us have a wrong view of our salvation. We have a wrong view of salvation and what it means to be saved. We think that some, some, somehow that God woke up one day and said, you know what, I don't want to be a mean God anymore. 
I want to be a nice God. I want to be a nice God. So, you know those sins that you guys are doing out there? Forget about it. Free day. I'm going to let it go. Don't worry about it. Just go on. I love you so much. I love you so much that you can... Don't worry about it. There's no sin problem. No big deal. Listen, that is not how you and I are saved. You were not saved by the setting aside of the law. You were saved by the fulfilling of the law. And God would be just because Jesus Christ, His Son, would live a life that you and I could not live. And He died a death that we deserve to die. He was the propitiation. And Dylan's going to talk about that next week. He absorbed the wrath for our sins that we deserved. And so the legal demands have been met. They have been met. So if I am going to be true to who I am, God says, and if I'm going to be true to myself, then I forgive. I forgive. God forgives me and you in Christ because of his merciful He's merciful and because he is just. And that is how good the good news really is. But you and I need to admit it. You and I need to admit that we need this. You see, to appropriate God's cleansing and God's forgiveness only happens when you and I confess through confession. That's why verse 9 says, if you confess. Now, this word confess is a great word. It is the Greek word homologeo. Homo means the same. Lego, not the blocks, means to speak. And so, basically, confession means to say about sin what God says about sin. Yes, God, this is not good. I confess that I sin. When we confess sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, let me say this. Confession is important. But how you confess is just as important. And so as we bring this time to a close, I want to leave with you two exhortations about confession. Two exhortations about confession. Number one, confess sin honestly. Confess sin Honestly. Now, I know in a room this size, with this many people, there's perhaps someone right now who is here this morning and that you're trying to hide your sin from God. You're trying to hide your sin from God. And I want to encourage you right now, stop it. Just stop it. Stop being foolish in thinking that you can hide your sin 
from God. It is pure foolishness. Several months ago, I found myself trying to hide some sin from God. I convinced myself that I could manage it. I lied to myself, thinking it wasn't that big a deal, that I was, I'd be okay. It was just, it wasn't hurting anybody. And God finally opened my eyes to the fact that I was destroying myself. You cannot hide your sin from God. It's foolish to think that you can hide your sin from God. And when I confessed my sin, God was faithful. And he was just to forgive me of my sin. And he cleansed me from my sin. Stop trying to hide anything from God. Especially from a God who loves you and desires to cleanse you from all these things that we do that hurt him. Oh, but you don't understand. If I, if I confess my sin to God... It would be so much better if I just hid it. It's not hurting anybody. It's not affecting anyone else. Listen, it's destroying you. It's destroying you. But if I, if I just hide it, it won't hurt anyone. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews has to say to you. Or not Hebrews, uh, Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 13 says... Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he, will but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. God will give you mercy. Listen, when we hide our sin from God, hiding your sin is like drinking seawater. The more you drink it, the more it starves your body, and it will destroy you. So don't hide your sin. Rather, confess it honestly. Secondly, confess sin specifically. Confess sin specifically. Now, a lot of times when we confess our sins or we can make confession, we are way too general in our confessions. You see, the word sin there, it sins in verse 9, it is the picture of specific sins. Not just sins in general. It's not just, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. No, it's God, I have sinned in this area. God, I have sinned in this way. Take time to examine your heart before God and tell Him, I have sinned this week, I have sinned that way, I have sinned today, I have sinned right now I'm sinning. Be specific in your confession to God. Remember, verse 5 said that God 
is light. Part of the purpose of light is exposing darkness. And so the closer we get to light, the more clearly we see the areas of our lives that are dark and the areas that are hidden. Kim and I went to help some friends the other day move some furniture. And greatest thing I've ever seen. Maybe you have one of these. But I was getting ready to sweep the floor, and they hand me their sweeper, and it had two headlights on it. And when you swept the floor, man, you could just see the stuff on the floor. The light exposed the dirt that was on the floor. Listen, we need God's light. We need the light of God, His Word, to shine on our hearts. We need the light of God's Word to shine on our minds. We need the light of God's Word to shine on our lives, in our relationships, to expose the darkness that's in us, to lead us to honest and specific confession of sin before Him. And when we do confess our sins, honestly and specifically, the promise that God gives us here is that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, let's confess sin honestly. And let's confess sin specifically. And when we do, We will walk in the light as he is in the light. And we will have fellowship with one another. The part of fellowship is the sharing of this family meal that we do here this morning. Part of the joy of this meal is remembering all that Jesus did to redeem us through the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so let's remember this morning what Jesus did for us at the cross. But if you're here today and you have never experienced Christ and what he did for you at the cross, the invitation for you is not to come partake of this meal. The invitation to you is to cry out to God right now. Cry out to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I confess I sin." And I need your forgiveness. And so cry out to God this morning and ask and believe in what Jesus did for you. If you're a believer here this morning and you know that there has been some sin in your life that has broken fellowship with God, my plea to you is just to cry out to God right now as we pray and confess your sin and be specific about it and honest about it and God will cleanse you and forgive you of your sins and so let's pray together let's pray Father we are all sinful and we are grateful that you have given us light 
to see that sin. You've given us understanding in your word and how we should deal with it. And Lord, we just ask for faith to act in that light. Lord, we struggle daily. And just as Jim pointed out, we, we cannot manage our sin. We need you, Lord, to remove it. We need to be cleaned. We need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And it is there. It is available to all who would believe. So Lord, help us as believers. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to self-reflect often to hold our lives up to the light of your word, to the mirror of your word, that we would see where sin is taking hold and that we might deal with it, God, with the truth of the gospel. For those who may be here this morning who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would sense their need. God, that your spirit would lead them to repentance that light would shine and that faith would be born. God, we are so grateful for your mercy and your grace. We're thankful, God, that you took the punishment we deserved, that your justice was satisfied at the cross and that your love was poured out on your people. God, help us again to walk in the light, to resist the devil, to resist our fallen nature, and to know what it is, Lord, to live in the freedom of the gospel. I pray that this meal would remind us, Lord, of the price that was paid, the pain that you endured, the suffering that you did not deserve to endure. God, you gave more than we know, more than we can imagine, so that we could know you. Help us to remember that as we take this meal and to look forward to the day that we can dine with you in heaven where sin is no more. In Christ's name we pray, amen.